What is the future of Anthony Mantha in Washington? Your Locked On Capitals, your daily podcast on the Washington Capitals. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello and welcome into this edition of Locked On Capitals. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. As always, this podcast is free and available on all the major platforms. And I want to thank you for making this your first listen or view of the day. Yes, this podcast is also available in video form, so head on over to YouTube and check it out. I'd also love to chat with you on subtext. There is more information in the show notes. My name is Dan Holmey. You can find me on Twitter. It's at DanCaps218. You can find the show on Twitter. It's at LockedOnCaps. So in this edition of Locked On Capitals, we talk about the elephant in the room. And the elephant I speak of is Anthony Mantha. What do the Capitals do with Anthony Mantha? Suffices to say... He didn't have the season that he was looking for. The Capitals did not have the season that they were looking for with Anthony Mantha in the lineup. What do they do being that there is one year left on his contract? We'll talk about that in the show. Then later, if you're an everydayer, you know I spoke about this with Evgeny Kuznetsov. The same goes for Anthony Mantha. There is a thought out there that if the Capitals get their next head coach, that Anthony Mantha could potentially be that player that he was from before, that 20-goal scorer that he was with with Detroit. Could the new head coach reinvigorate his career and get him back into his former glory? We'll talk about that. Then later in the show, we will talk about the scouting report and who is Anthony Mantha historically. But just to get going here, we know that Anthony Mantha did struggle this past season. Uh, he was hel- he was a healthy scratch. And one of the things that Mantha said is he was looking forward to this season because this was going to be his first season since joining the Caps that he was entering into the season healthy. And he was optimistic about this season, but things kind of went off the rails with him. And, uh, you know, like I'll talk about a little bit later, some people are pointing to the fact that it was Peter Laviolette misutilizing him. So, It is an interesting argument out there. Uh, The Capitals right winger admitted during his end of the season press conference uh, a couple weekends ago, he was frustrated with how his campaign turned out. Mantha was looking forward to playing a full season, having seen each of his first two seasons in Washington interrupted with injury, uh, writes NBC Sports Washington. And that was my hope. That was my you know, hope that he was going to be that player that we all hoped for. I know that when the Capitals um, picked him up and signed him in that trade that sent uh, Verona over to Detroit, along with Richard Ponick, that they were hoping to get a big, great goal scorer. He's a great skater. I think they saw his size and thought maybe he would have a bit of a snarl, a bit of a physicality to his game. But that was not true. Mantha finished with just 11 goals. And 16 assists in 67 games while averaging 14-13 of ice time. His fewest in any of his full seasons in the NHL. His season hit a low point in January when the coaching staff made him a healthy scratch four times in six games. It was crazy tough on his confidence and he struggled to get back from it. And one of the things that I noticed in 
the breakdown day, the, the presser that he had with the media is, you know, your heart really went out to him. And I know people are saying, what are you talking about, Dan? He's sucked. Get over it. I'm just saying he realized he was cognizant of the fact that he wasn't playing well. And that is why he hired a mental coach to help try to focus his game. Let's face it. I mean, this is a guy that has had a pretty good career other than this season in the NHL. You know, you could say that he had two seasons that were plagued with injuries, but when he played for the Red Wings, he was a really great player in the, in the NHL. 20-plus goals scored uh, two times there. And um, so, you know, to be knocked out of the lineup and being a healthy scratch and then being demoted to sometime the third or fourth line, that is a knock on your confidence. So he hired a mental coach um, in Toronto there to help try to refocus him a little bit. And um he said that it was going well and it was helping with his game because ultimately what went wrong in Mantha's case is he was kind of just wrapped up in his own head. He was overthinking things. You know, he was watching the game from up on top and seeing, you know, if once I'm back in the game, I'm going to do this different and I'm going to do that different. And what is the one thing you always hear is that when you overthink things, that's when things only get worse. That's when you're gripping your stick too tight and you're trying to, to overthink everything that would come to you normally naturally. And then you struggle even more, which you know leads to even more frustration. And uh, I think that is ultimately why Mantha uh, hired a mental coach is to try to refocus him. And you know it's tough to hear the scrutiny of the media it's hard to to feel that 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 pressure of why are you not performing you know why did the capitals trade for me why did they send uh verona and panic to detroit why what did they see in me and why am i not living up to potential um i think that it was a difficult period i know it was in his life he said that his personal life is going well but things on the ice uh this past season as we know struck you know he struggled being scratched is a hard hit in the face, but you come back and try to get things going and get your confidence. And sometimes it's way harder than people can imagine putting extra pressure on yourself, putting extra details. And then you go out there and you're actually thinking more than you were before. Obviously, it's not the season I wanted. I wanted to come back there and prove to everyone, including myself, that they came to get me for a reason. And that's exactly my mental state of mind for next year wherever that might be, you know, and everyone's saying, and I've said myself, trade him, move him out of Washington. But the problem is everyone else in the NHL, they see that he, his, you know, production has been diminished. His value has been diminished. So it's not like they're going to get a real great return for him anyway. You know, there is a thought out there that maybe they would be better just to hold on to him because the kind of return that you would get for Mantha um, is probably not going to be a lot better than who Mantha is. Mantha has a pedigree intrinsically is a great hockey player. He just needs to find that within him again. And I don't know everyone's going to say, why do you want him back, Dan? He was a healthy scratch, but think, hear it out here. Mantha on face value is not going to fetch a really great return. Who is going to say, hey, I want to sign up to get that healthy scratch on my team. I want to get this guy that used to score 20 goals but did this list last season. And then the two seasons before that was injured. Yeah, sign me up. I want that guy on this team. That's just not going to be the case. However, what they could do is bundle him in a deal. Mantha plus plus 
you know, kind of similar to how Craig Smith came to the Capitals, you know, uh, Craig Smith, you know, they're like, well, you want him, you're going, you know, or excuse me, if you want to trade Orloff and you want to trade Hathaway, then you're going to have to take Craig Smith and those draft picks, right? So, you know, sometimes that's what it is. It's the GM you know, kind of, you know, giving conditions, you know, uh, we'll, you know, trade you, but you're going to have to take this contract off the book. So it might be a thing that uh, Brian McClellan is going to have to do um, if he makes these trades this off season, which I expect is going to happen is they're going to say, you know, we want, you want to do a trade. We will do that trade with you, whoever that might be, but you're going to have to take Mantha's contract with you. And then the future is his. So if a situation like that presents itself, then I'm all about it. But you know, if there are no takers for him and, or, you know, say someone said, we'll take him, but you're going to get, you know, this other guy of less or equal value or excuse me, equal or less value, then why would you want to do that? Um, At the end of the day, you could look at Mantha as a depth piece, right? You could look at him as someone, you know, uh, you know, maybe an extra skater out there. I know that's a tough thing to say, being that his contract is worth so much money, but if there's no takers on him, you really don't have a choice. There's one year left on his deal with the caps. And I think, you know, for me, this is this is where I'm at when I'm talking about this, the end of April, early May here, depending on when you're listening to this, is let's see who the next head coach is, right? Uh, let's listen to offers out there. If there's a great offer, you know, out there that includes Mantha, which I don't think is going to happen, but say it does for some reason then go ahead and do it. But if not, let's see who the next head coach is and let's see if he can light a fire under Anthony Mantha and refocus him to get him to be the hockey player that he knows that he is and prove to the Capitals, prove to his teammates that he is that player and then he will have a job in the everyday lineup. Is that going to be happening I guess that is up to Anthony Mantha. It is a bit of an interesting thing, you know, how some of the times these guys on paper seem like they're that great, but then they don't ultimately end up being that way. As I said, the Capitals acquired Mantha at the 2021 NHL trade deadline in a blockbuster deal that sent Jacob Verona, Richard Panic, Ponick, and a first-round pick and a second-round pick to the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for a then 26-year-old Mantha. Now heading into the final year of his contract, Mantha hopes to attack this offseason in hopes of better living up to the expectation of a player who was acquired for such a price. The Caps gave up a lot to get Anthony Mantha. And at the time, it was a bit of a head scratcher. Why did they part with Jacob Verona? The the DC fan base still loves Jacob Verona. And I think, you know, he's playing on the Blues right now. Uh, You know, he had his personal issues uh, that he had when he was on the Red Wings. And I mean, we can't hold that against him. We all have issues that we have from day, day to day. But I still think that a lot of the Caps fans, if a situation presented itself, they would take Jacob Vrana, Jakob Vrana, if you will, back to this team. They love him that much. At the time, he was the fastest fastest skater out on the ice. And uh, I still think there's a lot of Caps fans that would love to see him come back to this team. Um, but when you think about the price of what the Caps gave up for a guy, you know, a definitely kind of paid too much for him, that's for sure. So let's take a look at it just piece by piece. Jacob Vrana, Richard Ponick, which was kind of a bust on the Caps, if you guys remember, a first-round pick and a second-round pick. That's quite a haul that uh, Detroit received for 
to, to give up Anthony Mantha. It is quite uh, ridiculous uh, looking back on it. You know, you can't live your life in the rearview mirror and hindsight's 2020 and all that. But that's what I'm talking about. The Capitals are really hoping that they can get Mantha to be uh, that kind of player uh, that everyone thought that he was going to be. All right. So after the break here, we are going to talk about the scouting report. And uh, historically, who is Anthony Mantha and where does he fit into this team? We'll talk about that straight ahead. Today's episode is brought to you by a product that I use literally every day, AG1 by Athletic Greens. Maybe you're like me, you want to eat healthy and eat well, but it's always easier said than done. That's no longer the case with AG1. With one delicious scoop of AG1 in a glass of water each day, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotic, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all these things. It can be hard and, and expensive to keep track of multiple different supplements. That is why you need AG1 by Athletic Greens. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutritional insurance. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NHL network. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash NHL network to take ownership over your health and pick up on the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, welcome back into this edition of Locked On Capitals, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Make sure and subscribe to Locked On Capitals as I have many great guests lined up this summer. John Walton and Mike Vogel will be on the show, uh, so make sure and subscribe. All right, in this next segment here, we are going to talk about who is Anthony Mantha really as a player? Intrinsically, what kind of player is he? If you take a look at his stats, looking at him, you know, ultimately why the Capitals signed him in the first place or traded for him, shall we say, is his 20 goal seasons that he had with Detroit. In the 17-18 season, he had 24 goals. The 18-19 season, 25 goals. Uh, those were both seasons with the Red Wings. And then if you take a look at the 2021 season, he had 10 goals. Uh, that was with Detroit. And then he got traded to Washington. So you already start started to see, and I know COVID factored into that a little bit and, and that kind of thing. But he, that is why they ultimately signed Anthony Mantha is because for his size and who he is. And, um, you know, he hasn't necessarily lived up to what they had hoped he was going to be, but that is why they signed him. Make no mistake about it. He was a skater and a slick uh, stick handler, that kind of thing. So what is the scouting report on Anthony Mantha? Mantha is a pure scorer with soft hands and a nose for the net. Although uh, at six foot four and 190 pounds, Mantha is more of a finesse player. He needs to find the openings in a defense and has quick release and a scores instinct to finish his chances. Mantha anticipates plays well and is an effective playmaker, but his forte is his goal scoring. The drawbacks to his game are his defense and lack of physical play and intensity. Many believe he fails in the boom or bust category. And, uh, you know, that's his thing. Is he going to, to boom or is he going to bust? That's the categories that he falls under. And, 
You know, if you take a look at him, some people would say, oh, of course, Dan, it's a bust. And the thing that is going to forever haunt him, I think, if, you know, his career doesn't go in the path that he hopes it's going to go, is him coughing up the puck to uh, Evgeny Malkin, which led to Pittsburgh winning the game, which was the dagger to the capital season. Many people talked about it. John Walton on his show, I talked about it on my show as well. Is was the implications of that game. If the Caps won that game, we could be talking about the Capitals in the playoffs right now. However, he kind of nonchalantly gave up the puck and Melkin drove it home and, you know, the Penguins went on to win it. They didn't, they didn't get their outcome anyway, but I'm saying could have been. I'm not saying the Capitals would have, in fact, made it to the playoffs. I'm just saying that, you know, it was trending at least in that direction. Um, so that kind of ties into his defensive play and his puck management, his responsibility while uh, handling the puck. Um, so just taking a look at Mantha and what, uh, you know, about him, the scouts take. Mantha is a big kid with a ton of physical maturation left and a very projectable frame, says Ross McLean. See, that's what everyone kind of thought about him. They thought that he was going to be this big, tough guy. Never really was. Head scout for International Scouting Services. He has a smooth skill set for a big man, is a very a good shooter. He never seems to dominate on the ice, but always finds himself in a great scoring area, and he doesn't miss very often. He does not play physically, something that often shocks you when you watch him play. Again, a big guy, a big frame, not a tough guy. We've tried to see him to play that role. I think the Capitals have tried to make him play that role. It's never really been his big, not who he is. He's got a great shot and he doesn't need much time or space to release it, says David Burstyn, director of scouting for McKean's Hockey. He's got good size, but he's a bit gangly and he needs to work on his lower body strength a little bit. He's not a great skater and he certainly needs to work on that. The other aspect of his game is he's got to be more involved. He's prone to not just taking shifts, but periods and and nights off. Mm. So even the scouts saw that, that he is a guy that is not always involved. He's prone to not just taking shifts, but periods and nights off. Hmm. Have we seen that in Anthony Mantha? We sure have. We never know what Anthony Mantha is going to be out there on the ice. Sometimes he's engaged and he'll score goals multiple nights in a row. And then sometimes he won't score a goal for a month. You know, and uh, I think that, you know, again, you know, when Brian McClellan signed him and they traded for him, they were looking at his size and they were also thinking and they were looking at those two seasons when he had 20 plus goals. You know, it is, you know, all GMs make mistakes. I think that this is one that Brian McClellan will look back on and say, was a mistake. Rankings. Mantha was ranked 10th by the NHL's Central Scouting and 24th overall by both McKean's Hockey and International Scouting Services. So they saw who he is. And it's sometimes interesting, or it is interesting, I shall say, that these scouting reports really kind of ring true, don't they? That they saw that he takes nights off and that he's gangly and that, you know, his physical size um, should, you know, potentially make him a great physical force to be reckoned with. That's never been Mantha's bag. Just never has been. He's never been that physical guy, and he's never been, and I know he's been plagued by injuries in his first two seasons with the Capitals, but he hasn't even been close to being that 20-goal scorer that they were hoping for. Again, it's a tough position for me to, to look at and to know what to do in the last section or the last segment here we'll talk about 
what should the Capitals do with Anthony Mantha? It is a precarious position to be in. Make no mistake about it. Uh, but, you know, that is ultimately what they were looking for. Another report here in the sports forecaster. The two-time 50-goal scorer in junior hockey has not come near that level in the NHL despite having all the tools for success. He is big and fast, has an excellent shot, and displays supreme hand-eye coordination. Inconsistency and injury have held him back, but he also needs to improve his play away from the puck in order to make the most of his offensive talents. Long-range potential, big, talented, but inconsistent scoring winger. That was a scout that made that assessment on him before he even played. So it is interesting that people saw this. They saw his inconsistent play. And I think to a certain extent, the Caps did not know what to do with Jacob Verana. So they were kind of desperate and they kind of gave up the farm in a certain aspect. When you look at the draft picks and Richard Ponick and you take a look at Jacob Verana, all of those players for a guy that has been a bust. Is this a comparable to a Philip Forsberg for a Marty Erat and Michael Lotta trade? No, but it is definitely in that same ballpark of failure. Um, and, you know, I would love to eat my words and have this next season, have him just light it up, you know, have him score 20 plus goals. I would love to see that happen. But if history is any lesson, he will continue to be an inconsistent player that is prone to injury. And some people say, you know, I've spoke about Darcy Kemper and I've spoke about TJ Oshie and I'll talk about Anthony and I'm talking about Anthony Mantha with you right now that certain players are prone to injury, but that's not their fault. Well, okay, then, you know, is it do they need to work on their physical? Do they need to bulk up? Do they not need to put themselves in a dangerous position? Why are certain players prone to injury? I mean, you take a look at Mantha. He's got a big frame. Why is he always injured? You know, Darcy Kemper, he gets injured often. You take a look at T.J. Oshie, who plays bigger than himself. That's why he's injured. It really doesn't matter. They're prone to injury, so that's one knock on Anthony Mantha. And the other thing is his inconsistent play that has followed him ever since the very beginning of his hockey career. The Caps and Brian McClellan wanted to overlook it but it has since come back to haunt them. So it is an interesting position for the Caps to be in. Um, you know, just what to do with him. Where does he fit in? It is an interesting position to be in, that is for sure. All right, so after the break, we will talk with Justin Trudell about the future of TJ Oshie in Washington. And was Blaine Forsyth really as bad as everyone thought he was? We'll talk about that straight ahead to the next player I wanted to talk about that uh, is TJ Oshie. And I love TJ Oshie, uh, you know, just in his breakdown day videos, I like how he talked about his compete level and he's competitive in everything he does. He's competitive if he's playing football or if he's wrestling. And then he looked at the, the press and he said, what you guys don't wrestle anymore. Uh, I thought that was an interesting thing there. So, and you know, just from seeing him play live, I see that if there's a scoring play involved and he's out on the ice, he's in the thick of it. Um, but, you know, the thing of it is for TJ Oshie as well is that he is injury prone and he has been kind of throughout his career. And one an interesting thing that he had said is because he felt like he had to take on a bigger physical role this last year in Tom Wilson's absence. So it's interesting that he is willing to take on an extra load like that. Um, but he said next year he's looking forward to being healthy and maybe not having to play as big of a physical game. 
For me, I would still also be willing to listen to offers on TJ Oshie. I'm not saying they should give him away, but what? where do you stand on TJ Oshie? This is, he's another player in this core group that, you know, without him, the Caps wouldn't have won a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, he's one of those players where you never look at him and you're like, he doesn't have that compete tonight. Like, I'm questioning his effort tonight. Like, he's always a player that puts 110% in every shift. And there's no question about that looking at him. Obviously, when he signed the eight-year extension, you know, back in, I think it was 2015, 2016, everyone looked at that contract like eight years is a really long time for TJ Oshie. Um, and obviously, we're getting to the point where we're looking at that like, yeah, eight years was a really long term for Oshie. Um, you know, at that point, we're, I was saying, yeah, like, you look at that contract in years, probably seven and eight, or maybe even six, seven and eight the Caps probably aren't in playoff spots because the team's aged out, basically. And I think we're getting to that point, right? Like, we see, we, we've we seen, like, the you know, dec- decline of the overall core this past season. But when you look at TJ Oshie, like, obviously, he brings a level compete. He brings leadership. And uh, he still has, you know, a high-level performance. But, yeah, that, that injury proneness is really tough to deal with, especially if it's not – severe enough of an injury to get him on the long-term injury list to free up some cap room. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough thing with him because, you know, like you talked about, there's a lot of, you know, like sentimental attachment to the 2018 team. And maybe this, you know, this old band can, can bang out one more single together, but I just don't see this core uh, right now winning another Stanley cup. I just, I really don't see it as is. I mean, I, I know that they won't go through a complete tear down to the stuns rebuild, but they have to do something because the caps weren't even really that close to make it into the playoffs. You could argue if Wilson and Backstrom and Carlson had been in there in the entire season, I think that potentially they could have been in a wild card spot, but I guess we'll never know. Um, so let's switch topics here briefly and talk about the coaching change. Uh, last time we were talking about who would be a good next potential coach for this team. Um, we, the writing was kind of on the walls. It was my belief that, you know, Peter Laviolette didn't necessarily get a good shake based on COVID his first year and the myriad of injuries this year. Um, was it the right decision for the Caps to move on from Peter Laviolette? So I, I think they said they agreed to part on like mutual terms, but I think Laviolette pushed the issue. Like McClellan said in his press conference, like, he was planning on talking to everyone, getting their input on whether, you know, on Laviolette's performance, how he is as a coach and a leader, and if they think he should be the coach next season and moving forward. Um, but then you saw Laviolette push the issue and want to meet immediately after the season ended. And I think potentially you're probably looking at a lot of friction between McClellan and Laviolette. One, probably because, like, it was the last year of Laviolette's contract. The team decided to sell. You know, you're you're losing on the playoffs at that point. And then you're looking at it from the standpoint of like the Capitals, like, okay, like we're going to be in a really tough situation here where we need to balance getting younger while also having this core group of veterans that we need to really like get the most out of and squeeze every last drop out of while we can. I think that the Caps were open to keeping him and Laviolette was just like, I want to go somewhere where I have a chance to win and I don't have to worry about young players and managing development and things like that where those are obvious flaws in his style is he doesn't really trust young players. Like I think the the one young player he really trusted throughout his tenure was Martin Fairberry. And outside of that, pretty much like everyone who was on the younger side didn't really get a ton of fair shakes. Um, even like 
you know, you're keeping up Alexei Protos or um, Alexiev, and you're keeping Alexiev in the press box over Matt Irwin, who, right. you know, he, I wouldn't be surprised if he retired. He's like mid thirties. He's probably not going to get another like real NHL role, maybe a seventh defenseman for a mediocre team. But like at that point, like there's probably some friction between McClellan and Laviolette around like, why are, aren't you playing Alexiev? Like we're clearly selling, let's see what we have in him. And then it was like, you saw that flip switch where it's like Alexiev is getting the toughest deployments on the team defensively. And he's, he struggled at first and then started to see a lot of um, upward projections there, especially when it's paired with uh, Trevor Van Riemsdyk. So it's like, there's things there, right? Like you can see potential uh, struggle points between player, between the coach and the front office. Um, I think there was also like kind of turning back to the Jacob Brana trade for Anthony Mantha. You're seeing like a, general manager that looks at a relationship between a player and a coach that was pretty toxic like you know jacob ran scoring an overtime goal and just staring down laviolette not even celebrating like you know there's something there that just never really came out Brana's had his issues with coaching and authority in the past it's been reported on too so mcclellan goes out and says okay well, i'm going to move this player that we like that helped us win a Stanley Cup for a player that better fits our coach's physical style. Mm-hmm. And I think there's probably some shakeouts there where it's like Mantha looked okay, then he's getting scratched, then he has confidence issues. And I think you really lean upon a veteran coach to help boost that confidence, right? Like work with the player, work on like, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want to see from you on the ice and like make progress there. Um, it's like, you know, improvement plans at your job if you ever have to do that. Like, here's what I'm expecting of you and here's where you're not delivering and kind of worry, working through that. And like, obviously you want Manson to be a top six forward if he's playing at his best, but clearly outside of the what, 15 game stretch when he, after he was acquired, he hasn't really been super effective. Obviously injuries have had a huge impact on that, but like, I think at that point, it's like, you're probably looking at LaViolette being the head coach again, what's changing? Like, cause obviously you're probably not gonna see a lot of turnover in the coaching staff if you decide to keep your head coach, unless you're in one of those scenarios it's like, we're opting to keep you, but you have to clean house behind the bench. And that's obviously we said, we saw McCarthy, he's gonna follow Lavila wherever he goes. That's, he's been his right hand man forever. Um, but I think a fresh voice often results in better performance at least in the probably the first half of the season where players are still trying to like force their way into roles they want by impressing their coach their new coach or uh maybe even just like change in style or um anything along those lines where it's like this is a different thing and we can harness our strengths better using this system where it's like laviolette system wasn't bad he's a good coach but i i'm wondering if there's some staleness there and we just we weren't seeing like the typical caps in the past where like okay we're x points out of a playoff spot let's batter down the hatches and squeeze out some wins and really get into the playoffs like we saw that in trots last year in 2017-18 when the caps won the stanley cup like obviously the first half of the season wasn't great but they battered down the hatches and really you know timely ads at the deadline really pushed and ended up winning the division right so it's like there's things there where a coach can have impact 
And I'm not sure Laviolette was bringing that anymore. And I think the team just probably just tuned out some of his kind of remarks or strategy kind of thing. Yeah, and it's a tough thing because I I think Peter Laviolette's a good coach. I just think that, um, you know, it's kind of his MO or what's been the history of him is he goes to teams and usually gets some, you know, gets some really competitive and then he kind of loses the locker room. I don't even think he was given that opportunity just based on COVID and all the injuries that were faced. But um, so now that it's not just uh, Peter Laviolette, as we know, that Blaine Forsyth uh, is moved on and then Mark Nemish, I heard, the strength and conditioning coach. Um, I mean, McCarthy, like you were talking about there as well. So it is quite a bit of, you know, different uh, coaches that are stepping aside from this organization. And I ultimately think that is for the best. Give the next head coach somewhat of a clean slate. Um, Taking a look at Blaine Forsythe, for example, everyone thought that he was horrible. I heard about it all the time online about how horrible uh, Blaine Forsythe was. But, you know, just one thing I had read about him that was interesting, to be exact, uh, Alex Ovechkin scored 188 of his NHL record 299 power play goals in the 11 seasons Forsythe was in charge. Um, I do think that Blaine, uh, his systems and, and his exit, you know, what he expected for execution kind of um, it just didn't work after a while. What was your assessment of Blaine Forsyth? Was he as bad as everyone thought? So I think it's important to look at Forsyth over the body of his work, right? right? Like 11 seasons is a long time, especially for an assistant coach. Like that's not very typical. Um, so when you look at him for his first five seasons, manning up the power play, the lowest they finished was fifth in power play effectiveness. Elite. Like, there's no way to put put that. Like, that was a league-wide feared power play. Then we get to his last five years. And the the final five seasons going chronologically, 12th, 17th, 3rd, which was during the COVID-shortened season in 2021 with the, you know, the weird divisions and everything like that. Then 23rd and then 16th. And I think to me, when you're, like you mentioned, how effective Ovechkin's been on the power play with Forsyth. When you have the greatest goal scorer of his generation and put probably, yes, the greatest goal scorer of all time on your power play, I think it's rightfully accepted or expected for your power play to at least be top 10, right? Like there's stuff there, like obviously the formation hasn't really changed in 11 years. Yeah, the one three one with you know the bumper in the middle and then the half wall on the right side of the ice and facing the goal with the player at like goal line extended or behind the goal to kind of work right into the, the bumper position. Uh, it got really stale. That's just the long and short of it. If you look at really successful power plays like Edmonton's generationally good power play this season, there's movement all over the ice. They score from the highest, the most high danger spot on the ice in front of the goal at a vast, vast, vast majority of the time compared to league average. The only way that happens with a stationary penalty kill movement is you're moving the puck, players are moving around the zone, you're creating mismatches, you're creating overextension by the penalty killers, and you're getting those easier chances from the middle of the ice. The issue was for the Caps, it was like, we see, I wrote a piece about Forsyth's kind of progression or regression in the power play um, over the course of his career here. You saw, you know, early on, a lot of of times Backstrom or Kuznetsov 
or Rivera at the time, taking more shots from the right side of the ice along the half wall. But from what it looks like in terms of the shot maps is teams started to pressure more on the right side to really make that pass across the seam to Ovechkin or even back to the point to Carlson harder, where Carlson would have to go to the boards to get a pass. And then basically the penalty killers would have an opportunity to kind of regroup and resettle into the positions. With the lack of movement, like obviously you had some times where like Carlson and Ovechkin would switch spots or um, you'd see like Backstrom come a little bit more into the middle of the ice and some kind of minor movements like that, but you weren't creating any mismatches. You're not moving around the penalty killers to the point where they're getting exhausted. Like you see like the best penalty killer, the best penalty kill teams struggling with elite power play units because those elite teams really move them around the zone, keep them coming in and out of their positions. And holding the puck in the zone, getting effective zone entries. And that was something that Caps also lost with Marcus Johansson. And in both stints, right? Like the carry rate into the zone dropped. And if you can't get set up off the faceoff, then you're struggling because you can't get the puck back in the zone. And there was no real effectiveness there. And then you watch like the really good teams on the power play. Like it seems like they just like walk into the zone, right? Like it's because they're moving the puck more in the neutral zone to get into the offensive zone. Now, I think there were just like some strategy components that were lacking that never really developed. And I think at this point where like you're in year seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven of your expertise on the power play working with the same players and you're not kind of experimenting with something different really makes it tough to hang on to you. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing of it is, is just the effectiveness overall. And I was kind of surprised that Forsyth hung around for as long as he did. I know that, um, you know, initially he was, he was getting results and then towards the end he wasn't. So um, I think it's ultimately the right time, you know, just to have a clean slate. And I'm most excited about, you know, the potential of what can be uh, or could be for this team as well. Uh, so Justin, I want to thank you once again for joining us on this edition of Locked On Capitals. Why don't you tell everyone where we can find your work? Yeah, so I wrote for Nova Cap, so you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, you can go directly to our site, novacapsfans.com. You can find me on Twitter at staytrue20. All right, Justin, once again, thank you for joining us on this edition of Locked On Capitals, where it's your team every day. My name is Dan Holmey, and I'll talk to you again next time.